1: Darren Pritchett.
3: My co-host is Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. And we are live on 960 AM WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and a two-camera shot of the studio on the Twitch app. We hope you are having a terrific Thursday, January the 25th of 2024. Budweiser's weekday sports beat back to two hours tonight after Irish basketball knocked us down to 90 minutes. A couple of thoughts on the Irish coming up short against Miami on the way. We've got Notre Dame football conversation to get to. The ACC football schedule is out. Did the Irish fill their biggest needs on offense from the transfer portal? We'll get to that coming up in a little bit. What is the significance of tonight's Notre Dame women's basketball game at home against Syracuse? The Irish and the Orange will play tonight at 7 o'clock on Live 99.9. I need to rephrase that. We did offense last night for the biggest transfer portal moves. we got to do defense tonight, Eric. Can't leave the defense out because I'm ready. They were awesome last year and they got to fill some holes. So we'll do that coming up in just a little bit. Plus, Eric had his inside indiesports.com chat with Irish fans earlier this week. We have questions. He has answers coming up in our next segment. We have our Twitter question of the day Who do I trust more? The second edition of this new segment is coming up. And one of the questions is this. Eric, are you ready? I am. Who do I trust more? Indiana to make the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And I'll let you know their net is 100. They are 0 6 against quad 1 teams and 2 1 against quad 2 teams. And they're out of the field, according to Joe Lenardi, right now. Or do I trust Purdue more to make the final four, which is not easy? It's hard to get to the final four. So who do I trust more? Indiana to make the men's basketball tournament or Purdue to go to the final four.
4: I'm going to say Purdue going to the final four.
3: My thoughts will come up in a bit. Okay. You know, Indiana and Purdue basketball from your days covering Indiana back in the day, a lot
4: of Purdue teams that were final four worthy that did not get there,
3: which is part of the equation. Their guards last year held them back and it's the same guys this year. So is it going to be easier second time around? Can they get, Jaden ivy to come back that would make a big difference wouldn't it <laughs> he'd rather be with purdue than the pistons i think at this point since they've won could four, purdue four beat games the pistons? no kidding. i don't think so no i don't think so that's always the debate could alabama beat the worst team in the nfl and the answer is normally no all right so we'll have that coming up plus our sizzler segment our sports wagering conversation i went four and on tuesday and a very nice 3-1 and one last night. So we are on a 7-1 and one heater. We've got four more picks coming up here tonight on WSBT Radio. All right, we've got our hat trick of opening topics ready to go, but I'm going to add in a little starter for the opening topics. Notre Dame basketball lost to Miami at home last night, 73-61. Once again, the Irish run position to win the game, and then a Miami 17-2 run late in the contest occurs, and the Irish fall by 12. In the second half, basically, it was a six-man rotation for Micah Shrewsbury. He went with Burton, Kinesny, Davis, Shrewsbury, Roper, and Imes. That's it. Guys like Jai and Booth, they sat. So why did that happen last night? Micah Shrewsbury explained in the postgame last evening. Give a listen.
2: I was just disappointed in our in our effort. Really just our effort level to start the game in the first half. Like, the things that they're really good at is transition. And then they got two guys that can rebound. O'Meara rebounds. Matthew Cleveland rebounds. We, we treated O'Meara like he had some disease that we didn't want to get close to. We'd get sick, and we just let him operate and do whatever he wanted to. And then Matthew Cleveland's in there getting offensive rebounds to start the game, and that set the tone for what happened, and that's what it was. Like, thought the dudes that played in the second half really competed, really battled, really fought, and uh, that's why I just rolled with him that small line maybe run out of gas after the nine-minute mark when you're up three? And you Absolutely. Them. And there was no thought in, in maybe bringing Keva or Kerry back? Zero thought. None. Because they were sm- going small or the effort was better with that core group? I'll stick with the dudes that are going to give me the effort that I want. All right? Maybe I should have called more timeouts and give them a break, but that group established from the start of the second half how hard you needed to play in order for us to win. So I was gonna roll with those dudes the rest of the half, right? Like sometimes you you can get a guy jump started if he sits there and watches. Um, and now he comes in and plays that same way. But I didn't wanna mess with how hard those dudes were playing and what they were doing. Like that group's never practiced together. That group's never done anything together like that. And we were just just winging it offensively. and but they were competing. When you play that hard, good things happen for you. That's what was happening.
3: All right. We've kind of heard this before from Coach Shrewsbury calling out the squad after that embarrassing 20-point loss at home to the Citadel. And now the Irish have lost five of six. All these games, they're right there, a chance to win. They can't close it out. But, Eric, this seemed like a head coach that was willing – to take the loss last night, to once again prove a point to his basketball team. If they don't play the mic away, they're not going to play. And if I were you at InsideIndySports.com, I would get a pretty long basketball transfer portal page ready for the offseason because there's some guys that might be asked to go to the portal, but as I was having this conversation with you before the show started, you said this is something that Coach Knight would have done back in the day. Not only would have done, did it? I mean, I witnessed it a lot. I can
4: remember really early in my career when Delray Brooks from Michigan City was a freshman on the team and he ended up transferring to Providence uh, later. But Bob Knight put five freshmen on the floor, and it wasn't because they were the Fab Five. It was to make a point to the other guys on the team and lost the game because of that move. But he was willing to take losses in November and December to make a point that would help his team be better in March. Now, we're in deep into January, but Micah Shrewsbury is trying to set a culture That isn't as easy in the day of transfer portal where hurt feelings could put you in the transfer portal. You know, not everybody. I think the transfer portal is great for kids that need it and use it wisely. I think sometimes you get a little bit of snowflake and you head to the portal for not good reasons where sticking it out would have served you better. But I think this is cool. I mean, this is something that I... You know, I don't didn't certainly agree with everything Bob Knight did, but I saw the point to it. I saw it work. And Micah being so ingrained in Indiana State basketball, you know, history and so forth, he's he's in that lineage from the standpoint of being kind of an old school guy. And I kind of I
3: thought applauded. that was cool. I applaud it. And let's face it. The Penn alum, Marcus Burton, the freshman guard, is their best offensive player right now, and Mm -hmm. he's having a terrific freshman season. Earlier this week, I went back into the record books and looked at David Rivers and Chris Thomas, Demetrius Jackson, what their numbers were as freshmen at Mm -hmm. Notre Dame, and Burton is right there with all of them. Now, Rivers didn't have the three-point shot for the first part of his Mm -hmm. Notre Dame career, But the numbers match up. Now, the one thing that Marcus is going to have to grow from is the turnovers. But you know what? Last night, Marcus had eight turnovers, which he would tell you, Micah Shrewsbury would tell you, is unacceptable. But he stuck with him. He didn't care about the turnovers. Marcus was playing the right way, so he was willing to live through the hiccups and the mistakes because Marcus was one of the six guys that was playing the way he wanted them to play, and how he wants this team to play going forward. And that is sacrificing some results to lay the foundation for the future. And I absolutely love it. And
4: and quite honestly, that's what this season should have been about from the beginning. Yeah. And, and I will be critical here of Notre Dame's marketing playing the soundbite, we think we can win a national championship oh, yeah. here. I think that was the right thing for Micah to say at the press conference. I think it was the wrong thing for a marketing ploy this year. I like a lot of the other things he said. Nobody's going to outwork us and that kind of stuff. I think that sets the expectations for what this year is and and the context for what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of growing pains, but it's going to pay dividends down the road. And I realize people say, well, you know, kids can jump in the portal these days. Hey, you got to invest in your team and set a culture and you can't worry about who's going to go into the transfer portal. Absolutely.
3: All right, so they take the loss to prove a point, and the last time he really called out his team, they came out and played a lot better basketball. So now let's see what happens Saturday when Boston College comes to town, a payback game for the Irish.
4: I've seen games where that move worked, and I've seen it even in March games. There was a game Bob Knight was really mad at, this really good basketball player and his team named Eric Anderson. And this happened just before they went to the NCAA. They got beat by Purdue in their last game. Instead of being the number one seed in Indianapolis, they get shipped out to Boise, Boise Idaho <laughs> as a two. And waiting for them out for them out there is the number seven seed, the best number seven seed I've ever seen, with Shaquille O'Neal as their center. And they wore their yellow uniforms, and he looked like a school bus. He was that much bigger than everybody else on their team. And I mean that in a nice way. I mean, big, strong guy. And Matt Nover had to guard him because Eric Anderson was in the doghouse, and it worked. I don't know why and how, but it worked. Maybe Shaq was just, like, so
3: overconfident (laughs) and just went to the free throw line. There are many ways – To coach a basketball team, there are many ways to handle the PR part of being a basketball coach. There's no right or wrong way. But I think we all know now, with Mike Bray for 20 years, after a tough loss, he'd be singing, the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar. I mean, he would always spin it into something. You know, I love my guys. I love my guys. I love my guys. We're going to, you know, lace them back up, and we're going to go get them next time. Mike is, like, throwing down, like, this is bad, this is awful, you stink, we got to do it my way, and again, the messages are totally different but effective in their own way, and I love the intensity of Coach Shrewsbury. That's not to say Coach Bray wasn't intense. He was more intense in practice at times than you could ever imagine. I've heard the stories of him throwing his team out of the locker room. They had to use a different locker room. So there's different ways to get the attention of your basketball team. And I think Mike did it more behind closed doors. Micah is an open book in front of the microphone. And it's it's good for us in the media because we're going to have some awesome sound bites. When I covered the men's basketball team, they
4: probably prayed that they were thrown out of the locker room because it wasn't very nice then. It's a lot nicer now. They didn't have the lounge area in no. there or any of that stuff. They were probably nicer locker rooms in the Joy Center somewhere.
3: No question. All right, he's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett. Let's get to some opening topics outside of Notre Dame basketball. And, Eric, the ACC football schedule is out. And Notre Dame, of course, is always tied in to the ACC with a handful of opponents. I'm not going to count Stanford. Are you, you okay with that? That's kind yeah, sure. of... That's outside of the agreement with the ACC. Stanford is an ACC team now, but Notre Dame has a working arrangement with Stanford. So I'm going to move them away from this conversation. So the four true ACC opponents that the Irish will face this year, September 28th, the Irish will take on Louisville, October 19th against Georgia Tech. That's a neutral side game in the home of the Atlanta Falcons. You got Florida State coming to town November 9th and the Virginia Cavaliers on November the 16th. And Eric, the last few years, it has been something that Irish fans have jumped all over. There have been frustrations with the ACC schedule because, miraculously, it always seems like the team that Notre Dame plays from the ACC, they have a bye week the week before the Irish come up on the schedule. Is it coincidence? I don't know, but the fact is this year, Eric, this this schedule looks totally different from the ones in the past.
4: Yeah, uh, it does. And somebody asked me about that on our Insider Lounge message board, and I, you know, it's easier to do it, do the messing with Notre Dame with the bye week thing than it, when it's a uh, two buys in a year than one buy. But this is a two buy year. Uh, However, you had to integrate very late Cal, SMU, and Stanford into the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that made an additional layer of, okay, we can't we can't do this. And nor has it really helped those teams that have had bye weeks. Notre Dame has done pretty well in those games. How many regular season games has Notre Dame lost since 2017 in the ACC? What is it? Uh, Louisville this year, and there was one
3: other one. Yeah, I'm trying to think what's the and loss the, before the street. Louisville and Clemson. Okay.
4: Yeah, Louisville and Clemson, so
3: this year. All right, so no buys this week, or this year, I should say, for teams getting set to take on the Irish from the good old ACC. Next up, what were the three biggest needs in the transfer portal for the Notre Dame defense and... How would you assess how well the coaching staff filled those needs if they did? Because of some returning players, the list was pretty short, but it was
4: pretty urgent. And I would would put safety and field end, defensive end in the same category. You lost Javante, Jean, Baptiste. There's not an obvious replacement. There's a lot of cool options there but nobody where you say this is the person that's ready to take this over and then safety having a sidekick for Xavier Watts who wasn't a freshman or a redshirt freshman and then being able to bring those guys along at a more deliberate pace I'd say those two and then nickel I think nickel is kind of a luxury thing Uh, they went out and got Jordan Clark from Arizona State to replace Thomas Harper I think you could have groomed, I mean Clarence Lewis played at some, I think Micah Bell could have been groomed for that position and yet having Jordan Clark and really if you got it in a pinch Rod Hurd could play that too. So they hit on all, that. you didn't need an interior defensive lineman, you have plenty of bodies at the Viper end with Jack Kaiser coming back you had a steady hand to work with all that great young linebacker talent. So it really worked out well for Notre Dame.
3: All right, finally, our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight. Eric, you covered the Notre Dame women's basketball team. So I'd like to know what is the significance of tonight's Notre Dame game at home against Syracuse. And again, you can hear this game on our sister station, Live 99.9, pregame at 6.45, tip time, 7 o'clock.
4: Yeah, this is really an interesting game because Syracuse is one of the three teams in front of Notre Dame in the standings. They made a lot of progress in getting back into the race not only for A double bye in the ACC tournament, but maybe even winning a regular season title. Uh, They play Syracuse for a second time. They did not have Sonia Citron the first time they played them. They got outplayed in the fourth quarter up at Syracuse, lost a high-scoring game, 86-81. to And I think Citron will be an interesting matchup if they decide to put her on Daisha Fair, if you've never heard of Daisha Fair, there is one person that's playing college basketball now with more career points and that's Caitlin Clark of Iowa. Wow. Okay. Daisha Fair is number 2. So she can get hot, she did in the fourth quarter of that game. So that'll be really interesting to see how Notre Dame defends her in the fourth quarter, all actually all all the quarters. Syracuse doesn't do a ton of things on an elite level but two, they are one of the best rebounding teams, especially offensive rebounding teams, and they don't foul very much. They don't get into foul trouble, so you're not going to get their stars in foul trouble and have them over sitting on the bench, and you're not going to go to the free throw line that much, most likely.
3: After losing the first time against Syracuse in upstate New York earlier in the year, this is one of those payback moments, and with as competitive as the ACC is right now on the women's side. Seven-ranked teams. You absolutely have to protect your home floor because going on the road is just going to be an absolute meat grinder. So this feels like, if you want to stay in the running for an ACC regular season title, this feels like a must-win, doesn't it? It does, and
4: the all the good teams, the top-tier teams, kind of hit each other. In the last month or month plus, Notre Dame plays all the upper division teams. Uh, Syracuse after they play Notre Dame, they play Virginia Tech and Louisville, who are contenders. They got Louisville twice still on the schedule. So and and you know Virginia showed Virginia went on the road and beat a <laughs> ranked Florida State team. Of course they did. And. So those lower division teams, some of them are capable. When I saw Virginia play Notre Dame, I thought, really, they haven't won a game yet in the ACC, and they won their next one. But they've made some lineup changes, and they've paid
3: off. All right. Again, Irish women's basketball coming up tonight against Syracuse from Purcell Pavilion. You can hear the game on Live 99.9 with pregame coverage starting at 645. All right, we're going to take a timeout, and when we come back, it is going to be a recap of Eric's chat insideindiesports.com from earlier in the week. As we go to break, it's Mike Bray. I mean, never mind. We'll continue on a moment here on WSBT. your calendar for Saturday night, March 16th. Pat Refugee.
1: Notre Dame football coverage continues now. What's the score? The nothing, nothing. Who's winning? The Bears. Co-hosting this hour is the publisher of InsideNDSports.com, Eric Hansen. He was bad at Clay. He bad at Sugar Ray. He bad at that. Who that? You, the new boy. Mike, Mike, look like a bulldog. He bad at him, too. Here's your host, Darren Preachett. I don't know who that is.
3: You don't need to know. 535 at WSBT. Sports Beat, brought to you by Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash Ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. And by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations. Serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Sportsbeat continues on WSBT Radio. As you heard coming out of the break, he's Eric Hansen. My name is Darren Pritchett. Eric hosts a chat every week, normally Wednesdays at noon. This week, a little different. It was on Tuesday at InsideIndieSports.com. That is where Eric covers Notre Dame athletics as part of the Rivals Network. We'd love for you to pick up a subscription at InsideIndieSports.com because spring practice will be here before you know it and there's going to be a lot of entry around spring practice just starting at the quarterback position and moving down the line
4: yeah there's almost no position where even if there's an established starter and there's
3: not many of them Mm -mm. the rotational guys behind them some good battles and you could argue familiar faces like jack kaiser where he would line up yep could be a couple of different places okay i've got questions Eric, of course, has answers. Let's start with Marie from Atlanta. Can you tell us what you know about how the junior weekend went? The wide receiver recruiting board has gotten much bigger recently. Do you think it's because Mike Brown is looking for different qualities than Chancey Stuckey was looking for as wide receiver coach? Yeah, and I think
4: you know people that follow recruiting casually, they probably say, is there anything such as a bad recruiting weekend? But I would say... In terms of grades of really productive weekends, this was really top shelf. These junior days used to be cattle calls where you'd get a lot of kids from the Midwest, guys you didn't even know. You kind of formed some relationships. Now it's very focused. There were like 10 target 2025 guys, a 2026 quarterback, a couple of guys without offers from 2025, and Notre Dame made a lot of progress with their most coveted targets. And the bonus was Nathaniel Owusu Botang, who's the top linebacker in the 2025 class, number 20 player overall, half brother of Jeremiah Owusu Kormoa. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame was not on the radar at all, decides at the last minute to come up and take a trip and had a great time. Uh, Even talked to Jeremiah when he said, hey, I'm wearing your jersey, number six. And in his photo shoot, he's been posting all kinds of pictures on Instagram. I think Notre Dame got into the mix this weekend Mm. with him. I don't think they had any chance before this weekend, and now they're a player. Now, not a leader, but certainly somebody that's definitely in the mix for what's going to be a long recruitment.
3: We've got – and you want to mention wide receiver real quick? Yeah. Is the net a
4: little wider right now? The net's wider. They don't have a commitment yet. And I think Mike Brown has some relationships with receivers that he was recruiting at Wisconsin and Cincinnati that he would like to pursue that were uncommitted and relationships that he has. And so I think that's why you're seeing such a wider net with wide receivers.
3: Okay. Matt from Austin. He saw on Twitter X that prize quarterback recruit Deuce Knight was writing that he was blessed to be reoffered by Alabama. Lately, he appeared to be a strong recruiter for the 25 class. What are your thoughts on such a post? It may be rather benign, but if he's not considering Alabama, why bother? I cannot imagine that Coach Freeman and the rest of the staff would be too pleased to see it.
4: It really is standard with kids. They're just marking that the offers that they get, and that's kind of a standard Blessed to receive an offer. I mean, if he said, I'm uh, over the moon about this offer and I'm willing to walk through glass to visit Tuscaloosa, then I think you have some concern. But Deuce Knight's actions speak much louder than a Twitter retweet or Twitter whatever, X, whatever we're calling sure. it, a re-X um, <laughs> these days. The guy really is active both in person on social media. He paid his own way from Mississippi to come up and be here in the lousy weather of South Bend. He and 10 of the other uh, commitments in the 2025 class to help recruit, he's constantly, he works as hard as, I mean, he's getting into Dane Chris territory in terms Ooh. of, a guy that's really shown a lot of leadership. And C.J. Carr did a great job, too. C.J. Carr was a three-hour drive away. You know, Deuce Knight is in Mississippi. It's, it's not quite as close. So I would say if
3: Deuce Knight starts telling recruits they should go to Alabama, then you should be worried. Yeah. I think I read that Deuce was playing a basketball game and Freeman was sitting with the family and Lane Kiffin was sitting in the visitor's section of the basketball game that is true but who was who was marcus sitting with i thought it was deuce's family how did you say that word family oh i'm sorry i was like did i say deuce wrong Family. family yeah i, I saw on twitter that brian kelly is practicing his michigan accent right
0: now <laughs> <laughs> Well, Well, I'll tell you what, he
4: lived
3: in Michigan for a long time. He probably should have it down. Oh, that's true. Probably still can vote there, as a matter of fact. All right, we'll see you in Columbia.
1: Bring your Columbia jackets. It was a
4: joke.
3: There, I know that. (laughs) I think that job's probably all sewn up for Sharon Moore. Okay, Tom from Georgia. Of all the Notre Dame players still in the playoffs, who do you think will have the most positive impact for their team, lots of good options. How much does the appearance of so many key players so deep into the playoffs have on recruits?
4: I, I picked Kyle Hamilton. I think he's been pretty consistent this year, and I think the Ravens have as good a chance as anybody at winning it. So that's my pick. Yeah, there are a lot of people to pick from there. Sometimes you get to this point there are not a lot of Notre Dame guys left, And what does it say to recruits about the program? Apparently, Notre Dame feels it's important. They make have their graphics department put up all kinds of cool graphics. They're leaning way into it on social media. And I think recruits pay attention to that kind of stuff. They want to get the 4-for-40 dream, but they also want to get the NFL dream for however long that lasts.
3: I think there's a pretty good chance Mr. Hamilton might have a Super Bowl ring. Come February. Okay. I would have to think Baltimore is the favorite to win the Super Bowl. I mean, they drilled San Francisco out in Santa Clara Christmas Day in a big, big matchup that we thought might be a Super Bowl preview. But I'm pulling for the Lions. I want the Lions to get it done. And I think they got a fighter's chance at the very least. Okay. Matt from DC asked Eric in his chat at insideindiesports.com. Matt says, I read that Justin Scott planned to commit to Notre Dame, but didn't because of the no official visit policy. Notre Dame won't accept officials from recruits committed elsewhere. Are those common rules among big-time programs? Does Notre Dame need to rethink them if they want to be serious contenders for the top recruits? Well, I think they're doing okay with top recruits right now.
4: Yeah, so when he says officials, he means official visits. Notre Dame has a rule that, if you are committed verbally committed to them, if you take an official visit elsewhere, then they will consider you not committed. You will no longer be a verbal verbally commit unofficial visits they've let slide, and quite honestly, some of those have come back to burn them, burn them uh Peyton Bowen was a safety in in two two cycles ago, used Notre Dame as a placeholder to say, here's my offer from Notre Dame, what can you do better? And ended up uh, switching to Oregon and Oklahoma within a couple days of each other right at the end of the cycle. Ended up at Oklahoma. And Notre Dame wants to get away from that November-December drama. If you're a committed recruit, then you're committed. And it didn't hurt Notre Dame at Justin Scott- committed to Notre Dame, he would have taken the same visits and uh, without the official's policy and probably ended up at Miami. He said academics and distance to Chicago, being close to Chicago, were the most important. He ends up at Miami, so obviously that wasn't the most important thing.
3: Okay, Denny from Oregon says he asked a question a few months back about the long-term visibility of the Notre Dame-USC future scheduling with USC leaving for the Big Ten. Did you ever get a chance to ask Jack Swarbrick about that? If
4: not had that opportunity, I would like to, and I'm, I am think I will probably be able to ask the new athletic director, Pete Bavaco before I ask the old one at this point since he's taking over on March 25th.
3: Fair enough. Len from the Jersey Shore. He says, Coach Freeman has done a good job, in my opinion, navigating what is the reality of recruiting, NIL transfer portal, and facility expectations in today's college football world. As with all head coaches, Marcus Freeman must be a CEO of the football program as well as the head coach, a position created first by Nick Saban. Len says, what resources will Marcus Freeman have as compared to the major programs in the super conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, and does he have a general manager yet? I mean, if the money
4: that has been reported for the new media rights deal with NBC are true, then Notre Dame is going to be competitive. That's uh, assuming that the Big Ten and the SEC don't get some kind of revenue – new revenue stream that just puts them in another uh, in another tier. Right now they are way ahead of what the <laughs> ACC and the Big 12 are doing and the defunct Pac-2 are doing. <laughs> and so it, it is important in, in terms of being able to make those kind of investments and in terms of being able to go out and get the best coordinators and so forth. And and right now, Notre Dame has that commitment, and they have the means to do it. And certainly, Jack Swarbrick, in his swan song, it feels like he's doing everything in his power to give Marcus Freeman an even playing field.
3: Finally, since Marcus Freeman has been head coach, he has lost or let go a handful of position coaches. He lists Mike Elston, Tommy Reese, Harry Heestand, Chancey Stuckey, and Jared Parker, Those five staff positions are now filled with Al Washington, Mike Denbrock, Gino Gadulli, Joe Rudolph, and Mike Brown. Both the current holder of the position and the coaches that left have somewhat impressive credentials. Could you compare them, recruiters, team-oriented, player-oriented, etc.? And actually, there's probably a a few more on that list as well, but I'll let you take this where you want to go. There's a lot of stuff happening here. Yeah, he didn't hit
4: on all the players. All the coaches mm-hmm. that have left and whether on their own or Marcus didn't retain them. I, I kind of will go with the recruiting prowess of the guys that he mentioned, Al Washington, Mike Denbrock, Gino Goodoy, Joe Rudolph, Mike Brown. Al Washington, I thought came to play in the last cycle and sure did and and has done a good job of Really getting out to a hot start in the 2025 cycle. There's really maybe one spot left at defensive end, and he's done an outstanding job. I called Washington out to the point of I thought he had something to prove. He's proven it. Now you have to continue to prove it, but um, I think he's found his stride with Notre Dame. Mike Denbrock has been a really good recruiter wherever he's been, including at Notre Dame, and he can recruit – all over the country and has had difficult territories before, back when it was more territories rather than um, position groups. And that's what he'll be. He'll be somebody that recruits every position on offense. Gino Gadulli is incredibly thorough. If, if he gets a tip on a quarterback, whether it's a flimsy tip or not, he goes out and sees the kid. He evaluates them himself. I think he's a really good evaluator, and I think it impresses kids, especially kids maybe that are a little bit later bloomers. They remember that Gino was out to see them, and he makes a really good impression. Joe Rudolph, I think Joe Rudolph and Mike Brown both are learning the value of what it means to have the Notre Dame logo on your chest. I think Joe Rudolph maybe in his first cycle didn't have as much time to get involved and form relationships. I think now he feels like not only do I have time to do that, I can be more selective. I can reach for a higher-tier recruit. That doesn't mean – I mean, Harry did this. Harry would see a three-star guy like Ashton Craig or Pat Coogan and said, you know, I I like those guys, and they turn out to be pretty good players. So he's not going to worry about stars, but I think Joe Rudolph, for the first time in his career, really can look at any – offensive lineman in the country that has the academics and say, Notre Dame could be for you. Mike Brown, you know, he's new in the cycle, but he's being very aggressive. And I'll tell you, I've gotten some feedback from recruits and parents on him, and he's making a very good impression.
3: Harry would be done with recruiting about two months in. You have his guys. I'm good. He'd have his guys. (laughs) He's really good. Evaluator. He Sure is. All right. Those are just a sample of the questions that were asked to Eric at InsideIndieSports.com. The chat transcript is available right now at InsideIndieSports.com. And if you would like to participate next week, you can go to InsideIndieSports.com. And Wednesday at noon, I think Eric will be ready to roll once again. We are back on Wednesdays. Okay, so write that down. Wednesday at noon, InsideIndieSports.com. Eric's chat with Fighting Irish football fans. We will step aside for a brief moment. When we return, our Twitter X question of the day results from yesterday and a brand new question is out there already. We'll give you the details coming up in a moment. 551 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 5.55
3: 5.55 on this Thursday evening. My name is Darren Pritchett. My co-host is Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndySports.com. And we are back to handle our Twitter X question of the days. Yesterday, I asked you this question. Of these Notre Dame offensive players who were a sophomore last year, and I used their academic year, who will make the biggest jump in their level of play in 2024? So which of these offensive players that were sophomores will make the biggest jump? I gave you four choices. Quarterback Steve Angeli. Offensive guard Billy Shrouth. Offensive tackle Emil Wagner. Or tight end Eli Raritan. Eric, remind the folks who were not listening last night what direction you went. I went with Emil Wagner. I think he is going to be a starter.
4: He was a reserve this year, graded very high in his reserve reps. He is 12 to 15 pounds away from being a starter,
3: and we'll see if he gets there. The majority did not go that direction. Right. So there were good choices. If you had to pick again, who would be next in line? I would say Eli Reardon.
4: I think he I think all these guys have high ceilings, but I think Eli Reardon. It's gonna be interesting if and when Mitchell Evans comes back, how
3: that affects Eli. Okay. Okay. All right, here are the results. Seven percent said that the sophomore that will make the biggest jump among offensive players this year that I listed, Steve Angeli, the quarterback, only got 7%. Interesting.
4: Well, I think some people think he will be playing for somebody else. Some people think he will be the number two quarterback at Notre Dame. I don't think a lot of people think he will be number one. Some people think he should, but they don't think he
3: will. Okay. That's Number two. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Evil. Oh, you got to love him. Number two. All right. We have coming in third place in the voting. 15% went with offensive tackle Emil Wagner. I just don't think people realize how good this kid can be. Another offseason in strength and conditioning is going to make the big difference. Right. He's
4: he's the lightest Offensive lineman on the roster at 284. He's also
3: maybe the most athletic. And you think he's going to be the starting left tackle? I do. Okay. Second place in the voting, getting 33% of the vote, was offensive guard Billy Shrouth, who was not a starter last year. But I know you are a big fan of this guy. I'm a big fan
4: in part because I know Harry, he stands a big fan, but. That's a good reason. That I'm copying off of his paper, but also having spoken to him and watched him, there's a lot to like about where his career is headed.
3: Okay, so Billy Shrouth is. Number two. And number one, 45% of who voted says the Notre Dame offensive player of the four we listed from the sophomore class that will make the biggest jump this year in their level of play, it is tight end Eli Raritan. First off, I hope that's the case because considering the injuries he has battled through, it would be an awesome story if he has a clean year next year and really develops, Eric, into that guy that I think the Irish believe he can become a number one type tied in for this football program. I agree. So there you go. Eli comes in at number one. Now to today's Twitter X question of the day. We asked you this on my Twitter X account at nine, six, zero SportsBeat. which Notre Dame football assistant coach had the best year coaching and recruiting. We're not picking coordinators. So we're just going with assistant coaches. So I gave you these four to choose from running back coach, Dylan McCullough, defensive line coach, Al Washington, cornerback coach, Mike Mickens or quarterback coach, Gino Godouli. So we want coaching and recruiting combined who had the best year in those two categories among those assistant coaches, McCullough, Washington, Mickens, Godouli. Is this an easy choice? Does one stand out, or could you go a couple of different directions? I
4: go four different directions. So I for did okay. Reasons then. you did. It was a really hard question, and I went with the person that surprised me the most, which was Al Washington, and I think made a lot of progress. And you could argue on the merits of what's happened in the twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five cycles, but also Javante Jean Baptiste got markedly better. Howard Cross, a former three-star recruit, was a second-team All-American. Riley Mills had his breakthrough season. Riley Mills and Howard Cross came back to Notre Dame for another season when both would have been drafted. Yeah, There was a lot to like. If you said, of those four guys, who would you hire? I would say Mike Mickens, but... I don't think Mike Mickens hat got the wow recruits in this cycle, in the twenty twenty-four cycle. I mm-hmm. think he will in twenty twenty-five. He's certainly been getting them and he's been developing them. Whether they're five star or not, they turn into five stars with his coaching. I mean, uh Ben Morrison wasn't a high four star guy. He was, you know, not even in the top two fifty and he ends up being a freshman All-American, and Jaden Mickey was a top 250 guy. He's really good. Christian Gray, I mean, so. And Dylan McCullough, I mean, he's, he's the coolest, uh, you know. I mean, who wouldn't want to play for yeah. him? Uh, but, and he's recruited well. Those guys play well. But I think Washington had
3: the furthest to go and really made a dramatic statement. So it's almost like, in sports when we vote on the coach of the year the the person who was on a team that wasn't supposed to be great and all of a yeah. sudden they turned yeah. it around and they were awesome and a big story that's, that's kind of the yeah.
4: that's kind of and I, not to take anything away from me voting for al no. but that's kind of
3: the thought there and gadule he was in a tough spot he recruited well but coaching he was coaching Sam Hartman, who was learning the offense, as Gina was learning the offense. It was
4: a tough, tough offseason. He for was, him. and yet Angelian improved a lot under sure his. Sure did. He was able to hold on to CJ Carr when CJ Carr could have got cold feet about
3: having a new QB's coach, and he recruited Deuce Knight. And now CJ and Deuce look up, and there's Mike Denbrock. It's like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> One of the,
4: the, oh, I think it was Jerome Bettis Jr. Charleston Bowles had a story today on Jerome Bettis Jr.'s visit this weekend. Wide receiver from Georgia, son of Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis. And he was like, this was my favorite visit. And what Notre Dame's offense is going to turn into was one of the reasons why. I love talking with Coach Denbrock about that vision.
3: It was like a Pittsburgh Steelers reunion this weekend. Plaxico Burris's son was here, <laughs> Jerome Bettis's son. You got Ryan Clark's son, a part of the program already as a grad transfer from Arizona State. So the steel curtain has moved a little to the west. All right, so we'd love to get your vote on this. Go to my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat, and I will pass along the results on tomorrow's program. And we wrap up this hour. Eric is going to tell you all the fascinating items you will find when you go to his website, InsideIndieSports.com.
4: Yes, I should never talk over when you're saying the name of the website. Um, Charleston Bowles, Jerome Bettis Jr. visit story, really good. Trail tracks, we show you where all the Notre Dame assistants are recruiting this week on a day-to-day basis. We took our first stab at the Notre Dame football depth chart. So check that out. That's not behind a paywall. I did a analysis on the five most compelling battles for spring that are Ooh. already percolating and who I think the favorite, who the wild card is and my ultimate prediction. And of
3: course, much, much more. Always much, much more at InsideIndieSports.com. That's going to do it for you. It's a wrap for this hour of the program. And, Eric, I hope you have a terrific weekend with the family. And- <laughs>
2: it's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm not sure how they would react if I said the word that way. Like, why are you talking like that, Grandpa? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> All right, have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Check out Eric at InsideIndieSports.com. And we should mention you have a show every Monday at 7 o'clock. That's worth mentioning as well with Tyler James.
4: Football Never Sleeps. And we did talk a lot about the recruiting weekend and recruiting in general. So if you're a recruiting buff, I would
3: find us on YouTube and take a look at that program. All right, very good. He's Eric. I'm Darren. Sports Beat continues in just a moment on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
3: 17 minutes after 6 o'clock here at 960 AM WSBT, a live stream available in a couple of places, WSBTradio.com, our free WSBT radio app, and a video feed of the program right now on the Twitch app. Well, the Fighting Irish Basketball team kind of teased us once again last night as the Irish... Could not close out the home game against Miami of Florida. Unfortunately, with this newly constructed roster that Micah Shrewsbury threw together during the offseason after taking the job, they get to the point in the second half where they're right there, a chance to win the ball game. But unfortunately, more times than not, they just cannot close out the deal. And last night, Miami who made the Final Four last year, not having as good of a season so far this year. They're now 13-6, 4-4 in the ACC. They took down the Fighting Irish 73-61. 4 to go. Things were looking very good for Micah's team. The Irish had all the momentum. Marcus Burton had a block underneath. Then he had a layup. Julian Roper had a massive block that rocked Purcell Pavilion. J.R. Konezny knocks down a three, and the Irish are up 52-49. But then the Irish turn the basketball over. Miami gets a little momentum back, and then a bunch of momentum, an avalanche. The Hurricanes go on a 17-2 run, and all of a sudden, with two minutes to go in the game, the Irish were down 66-54. And again, the final score, Miami 73, Notre Dame 73. 61, the scores table wasn't very busy from a Notre Dame standpoint in the second half. Our head coach made a decision. He was going to go with the guys that were doing things the way he wants execution and also just a very simple thing, and that is grinding, hustling, working your tail off. I've always talked about, as a broadcaster, I cannot stand when someone talks about effort because you're supposed to give effort. That's the main part of your job as a player, to give full effort every time you're on the floor or the diamond or wherever the case may be. That's your job, and the only time a broadcaster should mention effort is when you don't see it. And last night, Micah Shrewsbury did not see enough effort. And he went with a six-man rotation in the back end of the game. And he was going to win or lose with those six. He stuck with the freshman from Penn, Marcus Burton, from South Bend, St. Joe, J.R. Kinesny. Also in that six-man group, Tay Davis, Braden Shrewsbury, Julian Roper, and a little bit of Logan Iams. And I think this was a situation that Micah didn't care if he won or lost the basketball game. This was going to be a foundation-slash-culture-building moment. We heard him fire off his frustrations at his team after the 20-point home loss to the Citadel. And the Irish then had a pretty good response soon after. But now, once again, we hear Micah going down that road. Firing at his basketball team in his press conference after another disappointing loss. Now, they lost to a good team this time. The Citadel was not a good team. Miami is a very capable basketball team. But this was going to be another moment where Micah was going to remind his basketball team his expectations. And if you do not meet his expectations, you're going to spend a lot of time sitting on the pine. And he went with six last night. And did those six get worn down? I think there's no question, and that's probably at least a partial reason why Miami went on a 17-2 run to take control of the basketball game. But Burton, Kinesny, Davis, Shrewsbury, Roper, Imes, they were out there because those were the six he felt like gave him the best chance to win and were going to do the things that he was expecting. Of course, the game was on WSBT radio last night. After the game, Coach Shrewsbury had a conversation with the voice of the fighting Irish, Tony Simeone.
5: That's starts. And then in both halves, the offense just kind of got away from you. What did you see in really each half, but specifically in the second half where the offense wasn't quite what we saw in the beginning portion of half number two?
2: I mean, there's a reason for that in the second half the dudes that played emptied their tank and played as hard as possible Hmm. and didn't get a break. So, you know, I I can't fault them for not being able to score. Like, they gave everything they had and they were gassed, right? In the first half, we we were out of sync. Um, We didn't guard. We didn't start the game. Like, they're getting offensive rebounds to start the game. They're getting transition because we're either turning over, taking bad shots. We're not sprinting back. Like, everything we talked about, and then we just can't come out and execute it to start the game. And now you're playing behind. You're playing catch-up.
5: You talked about the adjustment you made. You started Braden and Julian in the second half. I thought they gave you great energy. Uh, Julian made some great plays the block. What energy did they give you that allowed you to make that push in the beginning portion of the second half? Just competed.
2: Hmm. I just wanted five guys that were going to compete. and didn't care what size they are. I didn't care what position they are. None of those dudes have ever practiced in that position before. But we'll figure it out, Like. When you play that hard, things work out for you, and that's what was happening for us early on before we cashed out and we got tired.
5: Last one I got is just what the focus will be. you got to turn around and play a noon game against another team you've seen in Boston College. What do you want to accomplish between now and, and Saturday, getting ready for them?
2: And you find five dudes that are going to fight the same way that those five dudes fought in the second half, right? That's all I need is five, and that's all. You know, We had six. Logan Nimes came in and played played his ass off and played yeah. hard as hell, too. I will play those six dudes again. If and if the other dudes aren't going to play as hard and that's it, I, like nothing is bigger than this culture. This culture is being built. I will lose with people that are going to play extremely hard than win with people who are going to be
5: half-assed about it. Coach, appreciate the time. Talk to you on Saturday. There's Micah Shrewsbury after this one as always appreciate him.
3: There you go. That's laying it out there. This was not X's and O's. This was not boxing out. This was not making a bad pass or a great pass, shooting the ball well, not shooting the ball well, this was effort. And that, as a fan, has to be extremely disappointing. I mean, heck, for the coach, it absolutely drives you up the wall. But it's one thing to lose because you just didn't play well enough. But when the coach believes it is effort, it makes you wonder what the future of some of these players are going to be with this basketball team. It sure seems like it's my way or the highway and he will help you find a new home next year. If you do not want to commit to the Notre Dame way of playing basketball. I love the sharpness of his comments. And we know where things stand plain and simple. There's a lot of coaches that dance around these things and we have to figure out what's going on. We know what's going through Micah's mind as he lays it out for all of us. So for those six, I guess <laughs> get fueled up because you might be going the old Mike Bray route and playing 38, 39, 40 minutes when Boston College comes to town Saturday, a game that you can hear right here on WSBT Radio. WSBT Radio. And, again, I don't mean to put a spotlight on one person, but I think this kind of shows us, Mike, is thinking Marcus Burton is the best offensive player on this team right now. The freshman from Penn has been as good as any freshman guard we've seen statistically here at Notre Dame. The turnovers are going to have to come down, and he will get better in that area as he continues to grow. He had eight turnovers last night. And on some nights, with a lot of coaches, you're going to be sitting next to him with eight turnovers. But Marcus was doing the things that were important to Micah at that time, and he didn't care about the turnovers or the missed shots. Marcus was 5 of 15 from the field. It was about doing things the right way, and Marcus was doing that. So even eight turnovers didn't put him on the bench. He was one of the main guys who – Gave it their all and then some, trying to figure out a way to win this game, which they did not losing to Miami, 73-61. And again, like the Citadel game, we sit here and say the same thing again. What is the response going to be? I've always felt like a coach can go to the whip only so many times during a season. He went back to the whip hard last night. Let's see what the response of this team is going to be. You're at home. Boston College beat you earlier this year in Chestnut Hill. That was the situation, which the Irish played two games in three days. Always difficult to do. Second chance against BC coming up on Saturday. 627 is our time. My brand new segment, Who Do I Trust More? The second installment is coming up in a couple of moments here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Dan.
1: You can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT Radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett.
3: 25 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. Darren Pritchett back with you. Who do I trust more? A segment I created last week. We have some topics and we'll try to figure out who I trust more in various situations. We start with this. Who do I trust more? To win more games in 2024. Jim Harbaugh with the L.A. Chargers, or the expected new head coach of Michigan, Sharon Moore. Now, the Chargers play 17 games in the regular season. Michigan will play 12, so we're going to go with just regular season. Harbaugh takes over a Charger team that has Justin Herbert, so he inherits a really good quarterback that still has a high ceiling. It has not worked out for the Chargers despite, on paper, having a great roster. Maybe Harbaugh can be the difference maker. He inherits a Chargers team that finished in fourth place in the AFC West. So that means the Chargers get a fourth-place schedule. They get the Patriots, the Cardinals, and the Titans. The crossover in the NFC is the NFC North, so they'll face the Saints, the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Bucks. So those right there are seven winnable games. Denver, we don't know who their quarterback is going to be. Those could be very winnable. Nine, they play the Raiders twice, winnable, that's 11. Now, they're not going to win all those games, but the schedule really helps Harbaugh in his first year in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, the Wolverines, with a new starting quarterback, new head coach, now they have a lot of pieces coming back. This is what Michigan's schedule looks like for 2024. The first five games are all at the big house. Fresno State, Texas comes to Ann Arbor. Then Arkansas State, they begin Big Ten Conference play with back-to-back home games against USC and Minnesota. Their first road game is a rematch of the national championship game at Washington. Then they go to Champaign to take on Illinois. Back home for two more games, Michigan State and Oregon. That's interesting. And the final three games at Indiana, home against Northwestern, and Michigan goes to Ohio State. Now, there's a lot we don't know about the Michigan team, so this is a guess at this point. I see anywhere between nine and three and eleven and one with Michigan. The Chargers, I'm just guesstimating, ten and seven. So I'm going to give a slight advantage to the Wolverines. They'll win more games than the Chargers, but I think it could be really, really close. Our second, who do I trust more? Question for today. Who do I trust more to win their NFL championship game at home on Sunday? Baltimore or San Francisco? You've got the Ravens at home taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Baltimore is favored by four. The Niners welcome the upstart Detroit Lions to Santa Clara. The Lions are getting seven and a half points. So who do I trust more to win their NFL championship game. Despite facing an elite quarterback, I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens. Twofold. First off, the Kansas City Chiefs, compared to their past teams that have gone to the Super Bowl the last few years, they have flaws. Buffalo did not exploit them. That Chiefs offensive line I think, can have a very questionable day against Baltimore. The receivers for Kansas City, that's been well documented, the inconsistencies. I think Baltimore's run game with Lamar Jackson is going to be a major factor, and I just think that Ravens defense, led by Kyle Hamilton, who can cover anybody on the field, they've got a chance to beat Kansas City by more than a touchdown. That's my prediction for Sunday, Well, the Detroit Lions, I think they have a fighter's chance against San Francisco. If Debo Samuel does not play and he's got an injured shoulder, we've seen earlier this year the Niners offense look so much different. Brock Purdy is a good system quarterback. He drops the ball off a lot into the flat, dumps it off, tries to get something out of nothing. You got Christian McCaffrey. He's a handful. There's no doubt about it. But I think the Lions offense can do damage in this game against San Francisco. And I know the Lions defense on the back end, they've had their ups and downs. But if Samuel doesn't play, Niners look like a different team. So that's why I think between the two teams that will play at home for their conference championship, Baltimore has the best chance – to win compared to San Francisco topic number three who do I trust more Indiana to make the NCAA men's basketball tournament or Purdue to make the final four hey we know it is hard to make the final four it's not easy even for the elite teams you have a bad day another team just gets red hot from the three point line Stuff happens. FDU happens. maryland baltimore County happens. But let's look at Indiana. You watch Indiana, they don't look like a tournament team. Analytically, they don't look like a tournament team. Joe Lenardi of ESPN does not have Indiana in his latest bracketology. Indiana's net ranking is 100. That is 13th out of 14 Big Ten teams. Quad one games, Indiana is 0-6. Against quad two opponents, they are 2-1. So their resume is flimsy right now. It's not a tournament resume. Now coming up, they've got games that can help them. Saturday at Illinois. They have to go to Purdue. I might bank on a different game. You got at home, Northwestern, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Michigan State. So that is a group of games that can help the resume. But they've got a ways to go. Right now, you can't worry about a resume if you're Indiana. you got to figure out how to play better. For Purdue, their last Final Four was 1980. They've had teams capable of getting there, including last year. I remember when I had LaFonso Ellis on the program right before the NCAA tournament. He said Purdue is not going to go far because their guards aren't good enough. It's the same guards. You still have Zach Edie. The cast around Edie, there's just so many different weapons. The Jones kid coming from SIU adds another dimension and a different look at the guard position. But it's hard to win four straight in the tournament to get to the Final Four. So who do I trust more? Indiana to make the tournament? Purdue to go to the Final Four? I'm not sure I put my hard-earned money on either one. But I'm going to lean toward Purdue making the Final Four. They have the horses to get it done, and Indiana's horses don't have much of a gallop right now. They got to start winning and winning fast just to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. That's Who Do I Trust More? We'll do it again next week. When we come back, our sports wagering segment seven and one the last two days pretty good but what about tonight i'll do my best picks on the way in just a moment as sports continues on sports radio 960 wsbt